right, so we're continuing on in our series in the book of Job today, and for another couple of weekends, we're calling it the Gospel According to Job. I want to say hi to our friends who are joining us next door in the block, in the family room. Glad to have you guys here. Yeah, a little applause from the main room. All over to you guys, so thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. So we're, we're talking about the Gospel According to Job, and I have to tell you, before we get any farther into today's talk, that today's talk is going to be a cliffhanger, which means you have to come back next weekend. I'm, I'm sorry, but I couldn't get it all in one talk, okay? So it's going to stop at a place today, and we're going to pick it up next weekend. You just have to know that. We're talking about Job, and one of the things that was true of Job was Job was a righteous man. He had, he had this heart of goodness and compassion, and one of, the things that he, one of the ways he described his righteousness in the end of the book of Job, he says, I lived my life for the benefit of the poor and the orphans and the widows, like that's a beautiful picture all the way through the scripture that God says, this is what righteousness looks like when it's lived out. It's for the benefit of the poor and the orphans and the widows. I want you to know, before we get too far into our conversation today, today, over running around Lake Natoma, we had 80 lakesiders who, who were running a half marathon to raise funds for World Vision so that we could send money to Ethiopia to dig well so that widows and orphans and the poor would have fresh, clean water in Ethiopia. So 80 lakesiders running around Lake Natoma in a half marathon, and they raised over $28,000. It's awesome. And I already heard that, in, I don't know if it was the whole race or in one, one category, but one of the ladies from Lakeside won. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so that's pretty cool. So good stuff there. So we're talking about righteousness, and then we're talking about pain that lands on righteous people, because that happens sometimes, right? That's the theme of the book of Job is real pain sometimes lands on good people. And I know some of you who are theologically thinking, you'll, be, you'll go, wait, wait, wait. The Bible says all have sinned and there's none righteous, there's no one good, so how can you consider that? Well, okay, I know the Bible says we've all sinned, but there are people who live righteously. They've been redeemed by Christ and they live righteously. They live for the sake of others. They give themselves to others, those kinds of things. And pain comes on them sometimes. Or say it this way, pain comes on us sometimes. And sometimes you don't know what to do, and sometimes you need, to help, you need the help of somebody else. And so we have a ministry going here at Lakeside Church now called our chaplaincy ministry. It's a bunch of people that are serving as chaplains to care for us when pain lands on us or when suffering does. And so I want you to meet the leader of our chaplain team. Uh, his name's Mike Major, so why don't you guys give a nice welcome to Mike Major. Hi, Pastor Brad. Hi, Chaplain Mike. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Hi, Lakeside. Hi, family room. You know, nice job. That's, that's a good job. Thank you. So, Mike, tell us, uh, what's a chaplain? So, the church chaplain at Lakeside, um, it's, it's not an ordained pastor or a, a theological dynamo. Um, Although we, you are one. Yes. <laughs> no. All right, keep going. Sorry. It's Okay. We're part of the uh, care ministries that we have here at Lakeside, and I, I welcome you guys to go out to the um, greeting center we have out there and pull this card out just to see some of the care ministries we have here. And the chaplains are mainly um, a ministry of presence. We show up. We're there. We're there to be with someone and walk them through a moment or an incident or a timeline of pain, suffering, uh, loss, 
um, life change. And uh, so were the ears, the eyes, the feet, um, and the hands of Lakeside Church. And to get that, to get our mission statement and to get Jesus out of these walls and into our community. So what kind of needs would you guys address? Someone, someone says, I need a chaplain. What kind of need would they have mm. that they would call you? Absolutely. So, you know, we're on our series of Job, and we respond to Job-esque experiences. You know, um, things happen to people. Incidents happen to people. Change happens to people, good and bad. And we show up. We triage it. Uh, What I mean is we kind of are like the first responders for Lakeside, for Jesus, for our God, and we find out where we can put that person, where we can plug them in into the care ministries we have here at Lakeside. And if we can't do that, maybe we need to plug them in to county resources or state resources. So it's all about giving compassion and mercy to those who are struggling or in pain or suffering loss. Absolutely. Okay. And it happens. Now, do we have enough chaplains? How many chaplains do we have? We don't. We We don't. We need more. We need more. Is this a commercial? It is. (laughs) Where's my product placements? Um, uh, Yeah, we do. I would like to see us, and so would Brad, have 30 chaplains, one for every day of the month, on call 24 hours. And right now, there's only five of us. Um, these are beautiful people. They just recently graduated from the academy. And there they are. I love them. These guys are beautiful. You'll see Kathy out in the lobby uh, this weekend. They're wonderful people. Uh, it's amazing. I, I would want to go to them if, if something was happening in my life. But we're getting super busy. We have done hospital visits. We have been with the dying uh, we actually had one of our um, chaplains do a memorial service, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Tanner. He did a wonderful memorial service. And right now we're working on getting a bedridden, uh, a wheelchair-bound uh, terminal individual who has God, uh, chosen God to be his Lord and Savior, and we're going we're gonna to get him baptized. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, right? So if, if someone wants to say, someone wants, well, let's do this both ways. Someone wants to join the chaplain team. Yeah. Or someone has a need and they go, I, I've got this need in my family, in my life right now, whatever, and I need a chaplain. How do they get a hold of you guys? Um, right now, how you get a hold of us is I have an email address that goes directly to me. You can do that. Um, it's confidential. Um, or you can call the front desk. The number's on this card as well as our business cards. You can get a business card from any of our chaplains. Um, or you can approach us on the weekends. We should have chaplains in the lobby for you guys, so you can approach us. Um, what we like to do is we like to notify the lobby services and uh, whoever's speaking who their on-call chaplain is, so you can also ask them, and they can direct you to a chaplain as well. Good. And the uh, number to the front desk is also on this card as well. Good. Awesome, Mike. Thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. It's good stuff. So God Love you, Brad. Good to you, Thank you. So that's all about, it's all about there, there's pain that comes into our lives sometimes, right? And as well as you might be living, as much as you're paying attention to your soul and to others and caring for others, still pain comes into our world sometimes, and sometimes you just need somebody. That's the chaplaincy ministry. So that may be a blessing for some of you to say, I'd like to serve in that role. 
What I want to do today is I want to walk through another section of the book of Job together. And uh, I want, my goal here in this whole series is, number one, to get you to love the book of Job. I can't get through all 42 chapters in four weeks. It's just, it's a big mound of material to try and do that. I'm hoping you're reading along with us as we're going through this. But what I really would hope is that you learn to love this book by the way we describe it. So you begin to understand it and it begins to resonate with your heart. So you can go, oh, if I'm in trouble, if I'm suffering, if I've got some issues coming up, Job's the place to turn. So let's just jump in for a little bit and see what we can learn from this. As we talked about last time, I want you to remember that whenever you open up a book of the Bible, you have to ask the question, what kind of literature is this? Because the kind of literature it is makes a difference. And Job was written as a stage play. It was written as a drama. It was written as a drama uh, not because it wasn't true. So some people go, wow, if it was a drama, it wasn't, it wasn't true. It's like, no, it, it's a true story, but it was dramatized in the way it was written here. It was dramatized to be able to captivate our attention and to help us focus on a specific issue that lands on every person's life. That is, pain comes to every life. And the book of Job was dramatized. It was a life dramatized to help us to understand when pain comes, how do you deal with it? So when you come to the book of Job, you come to this drama. What I want to do for a couple of minutes is kind of walk through the outline of the drama to kind of unfold the play or the script for you so you understand how it flows. Again, so hopefully we understand it better and we can walk it through uh, and live it out better. All right? So as you go through the order of the drama, it begins with a prologue. We looked at the prologue a couple weeks ago. The prologue is the beginning of the story. It's the introduction of the story, and it raises an issue. It raises a topic. And, of course, we got to the topic a couple of weeks ago when we got started on this, and the topic was this. We already began to talk about it today. The topic of the book of Job is real pain lands on good people, and when it does, it doesn't make sense. Isn't that the hard part about God? Sometimes pain comes into our world and we're like, I, I don't get this, I don't get this. God is supposed to be good, but pain came into my life or loss came into my life or suffering came into my life and I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And sometimes you look around this world and you go, wow, the evil people don't suffer and the good people do suffer. What's up with that? That's, that's the topic that Job brings up and it begins in the prologue. Now, Also as a part of that prologue, the next section of the book or the next section of the story is called the agon. It's where we get the word agony. It's a contest. And ancient plays would have this thing where they would have this this contest that comes up. And it's usually between two people or between two parties. And here in this case, it's two people. And the people are God and Satan. And the way it's set up is God is in his throne room and the angels gather in front of God's presence and he begins to talk with them. And one of the angels that comes in is this one named Satan, whose name means accuser. God says to Satan, where you been? And Satan says, I've been out prowling around the world looking for someone to devour, which is his MO. God says, have you seen my servant Job? I'm like, no, 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 don't be doing that. Don't be pointing out at me. God says, have you, you're looking for someone to devour. Have you seen my servant Job? He goes, yeah, I've seen him, but you've got him so protected. You've got this hedge around him. You've got him so protected. You do so many great, nice things for him that of course he's going to love you. Of course he's going to live light, righteously for you because you, you pour out all these blessings on him. 
He says, but God, you stretch out your hand and touch him. You do something harsh to him, and he's going to curse you to your face. And God said, do to him whatever you like. The agon presents a dilemma. Here's the dilemma. Nothing has happened in your life that God did not sign off on. What? I mean, some of, some of us have gone through really hard things. Some of you have gone through really terrible, hard things. How is it possible to say that nothing that's happened in my life, there's nothing that's happened in my life that God has not signed off on? But that's the dilemma that's raised in the agon section of the book of Job. It's a dilemma for us. We don't know how to handle that. But that's what God says. Now, when you move after the agon, you come to chapter 3, and you begin this, this part of the book called the episodes. The, the Greeks would have called these the epicities, but we don't talk like that. So we'll call them episodes, okay? The episode in an ancient play would be the place where the characters begin to have dialogue with one another. It's a place where the play goes from two-dimensional, this is sort of what happened, to three-dimensional, this is how I feel about it. So when you're walking through the story of Job, you're walking through these characters who are saying, we're seeing great pain, and this is how we feel about it. Those are the episodes. The story of the episodes in the book of Job is this. The the issue that comes up is this. In the dialogue, real people have to wrestle with real-life pain. Or real people, even Christians, have to wrestle with real life pain. Or real people, even heroes in the Bible, have to wrestle with real life pain. See, sometimes we get this idea that if you put your faith in Jesus and you become a Christ follower, you become a Christian, then everything from then on is going to be up and to the right. It's all going to be beautiful from then on out. Someone may have told you when, you when they invited you to put your faith in Jesus, they might have said, come on, trust Jesus, receive Jesus into your life, and it's all going to be beautiful after that. And how many of you have found that to be true? <laughs> Jesus' disciples mostly died by martyrdom. And they trusted Jesus. We have to come to grips with this idea, and this comes to the the book of Job, the gospel according to Job, as I would describe it. We have to come to grips with the idea that real people, even God-honoring Christ followers, have to wrestle with real-life pain. And that's where the dialogue goes in this part of the book called The Episodes. Now, some of you, you like to get all the little details down, so let me just give you this. Some of you won't care about this, and that's fine. But the, in the episodes, there are three scenes. There are three rounds of dialogue between Job and his friends. He's got three friends. They heard that he was suffering. They heard that he lost his children, that he lost his wealth, that he lost his ability to create more wealth, and that he was covered with sores. He was one giant blister. Imagine that. He's in huge pain, and his friends come to him, and they, their desire is to comfort him. Their desire is to be a chaplain to him. But they end up becoming proxies for the accuser, Satan. They end up not comforting him at all. They end up accusing him of all this wrongdoing. They said, Job, if you you hadn't sinned so badly, you wouldn't be suffering. God always brings justice right away. And so if you hadn't sinned so badly, you wouldn't be suffering like you are today. 
So there's these three rounds of conversations with Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. You, you who haven't had children yet, save those names for your sons. <laughs> they will thank you. So there's three scenes, these three conversations. The first one goes from chapter 3 to chapter 11. The next one goes from chapter 12 to chapter 20. And the next one goes from chapter 21 to chapter 31. Three scenes, three episodes in the story of Job. And then after those episodes are done, then you come to chapter 32 and the story changes again. Now you get to the part of the ancient play called the Parabasis. Now you don't have to remember that name. That's a stage name. You don't have to worry about that. But the but the part of the play called the Parabasis is where the characters in the play, some would go off the stage at this point, and others would take off their mask and walk to the front of the stage and address the audience. See, in that generation, they didn't have iMag like we have. They didn't have image magnification on the screen. They didn't, like for you, for you guys over in the family room, they didn't have, like, I don't know if you guys know this in the auditorium here, I'm six feet tall next door, right? <laughs> right? Go check it out someday. It's awesome. So, but they didn't have that there. And so the characters in the play, they, their faces couldn't be seen. Their facial expression couldn't be seen. And so they would wear masks. You, you've seen the classic display of two masks, the happy mask and the sad mask. They would wear masks in the, in the play, in the theater. But when they got to the part of the play called the Parabasis, a couple of the characters would walk to the front of the stage and they would take their mask off. And they would begin to address the audience. And when the characters removed their mask, that's when you began to understand the heartbeat of the playwright. What I didn't understand when I began reading the Bible, when I was back in high school, when I started reading the Bible, I, st- I started with the low-hanging fruit in the Bible. You know, I asked my friends, you know, what should I read first? Somebody said the Gospel of John because it's all about believing. That's a great place to start. Somebody else said you should read the book of James, which is where I actually started. It's all practical wisdom for living life today. It's a fantastic book. That's where I started. It's all low-hanging fruit. Really helpful. But then I ran out of low-hanging fruit books. After a while, I had to find some other books in the Bible to read, and I finally made my way to Job, and I'm still a pretty young follower of Jesus, and I'm reading Job. I'm like, this is a mess. This is a horrible book. What's this doing in the Bible? And I didn't understand it because, see, I thought, I thought when characters in the Bible talked about God that what, they must be say, what they're saying must be true. Lock your seatbelt for a minute and don't walk out the door over the next sentence or two. Hang with me. I think you'll get this, right? Not everything in the Bible that it says about God is true. Okay, that'll wig you out a little bit at first. Not everything that's said in the Bible about God is true. You have to go back and ask the question, was it intended to be received as true? For example, in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent, he says, oh, it's okay if you eat this fruit. God just didn't want you to be like him. God's holding out on you. That's a statement in the Bible about God. Is it true? No. It's a statement from the enemy about God. Now, here's Job's friends, and they're living as proxies to the accuser. They're they are representing now the accuser, and they're saying things about God in chapter 3 through 31, and they're not always true things about God. And when I learned that not everything in the Bible that's stated about God is necessarily true of God, that helped me interpret these things. In fact, God says in himself at the end of the book of Job, he says, God says to Job, 
He says, I want you to pray for your three friends because they have not spoken of me what is right. I will tell you, maybe the greatest fear in my life would be that at the end of my ministry run, God would pull me aside and say, Brad, you have not spoken of me what is right. That's what God says about the words of these three friends that come to comfort and counsel Job. So be careful how you interpret those things that are in the, in the episodes because when you get the, to the parabasis part where the masks come off, now you begin to understand the heart of the playwright. And the playwright is God. In fact, God himself shows up in the last few chapters of Job and he removes the mask. And now you get the heartbeat of the playwright. Now that's how the... That's how the story unfolds. You don't have to remember all the names of those things, but you may understand a little bit better it's written as a play. It's written as a, a, a production to be performed to capture our attention and to help us to talk about and have dialogue about this issue. Pain, real pain, lands on good people, and when it does, it doesn't make sense. Now, we're going to jump into a couple of things in the book of Job, but just before we do that, again, to let you kind of feel the drama of it, to feel the stage play aspect of it. When you go to a play, there's usually humor, isn't there? Do you think humor is a a recent invention of humanity? No, don't you think people have laughed all the way along, right? So we've laughed, so in all these performances and stories all the way through history, there's been humor in them. We just sometimes miss them because we're in a hurry when we read. And sometimes we don't realize, oh, it's part of a play. There's going to be humor. There, sometimes in, in, in theater, there's, there's sarcasm. Sometimes in theater, there's irony. Sometimes there's other kinds of humor. So here's some, here's some humor that shows up in the book of Job. Job chapter 12, verse 2. Job's talking to his friend Zophar, who's just ridiculed him for a whole chapter. And Job says, clearly wisdom will die with you. In today's generation, he would have tweeted that. (laughs) Job 16, verse 3. Job says to another friend, Eliphaz, he asks, Will your long-winded speeches never end? And the answer to that question is, no, they won't, because that's what drama was like. It was all about long speeches, which we call soliloquies. You don't have to remember that either, but one guy makes a long old speech, and then the other guy makes a long speech, and the other guy makes a long speech, and Job's like, will your long-winded speeches never end? No. And then Job says in chapter 19, verse 17, to no one in particular, my breath is offensive to my wife. (laughs) So I'm suffering, she might as well be also, I guess. That's real life, right? That's real life. And, it would, and in the drama, when it was being performed, they would have laughed at that. You get that part. There are also stage directions in the book of Job. Chapter 6, verse 28, you've got these th- four men on stage. Job and his three friends who are trying to comfort him. And they're all sad because they showed up and they saw their friend covered with boils and blisters and miserable and having suffered all this loss and they can't even look at him. They're standing there on stage with their faces down. And in chapter 6, Job says, but now be so kind as to look at me. It's a stage direction. 
And you can see the actors playing these roles looking at Job. It's another stage direction in the end of chapter 31. It says, now the words of Job are ended. It's a signal for us. It says we're moving from the episodes to the parabasis. We're moving from one part of the play to another. It's a stage direction. Now, with all of that, let's come for a minute or two to the themes. And I have to just remind you, it's going to be a cliffhanger. We're going to quit, and you're going to go, no. But we're going to. Just want you to know. Here's, so here's the theme. We've already seen the theme. Real pain lands on good people, and it doesn't make sense. There are other themes going all the way through the Gospel of Job. There's the theme of righteousness. There's a theme of pain and suffering and pessimism and doubt and depression and injustice and even suicide. It goes all the way through the story of Job, and it's fascinating to me because here's the book of Job. It's one of the most ancient books in the Bible. It's very, very old, and yet it speaks to extremely contemporary issues. Don't raise your hand, but does anybody suffer from depression? Anybody ever suffer from stress? Anybody ever suffer from loss? Anybody ever suffer from pessimism? Anybody ever uh, struggle with doubt? Anybody ever have thoughts of suicide? It's all in there. It's It's real today as much as it was thousands of years ago. Which is why we're going through it today. Let me read for you the beginning of Job chapter 3. If you want to look at this, you can. Or listen. Job chapter 3 is the beginning of Job's crying out to God and crying out about his pain. Chapter 1 and 2 describe his loss and his physical suffering. And now you move to chapter 3, and it's the beginning of the episodes where he's describing, and they're having these dialogues about what's going on. And here's how Job begins. He sa- it says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, A boy is conceived... That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. He curses his birthday. Now, some of you curse your birthday, but it's not because of the same reason of, of Job. Right? Some, some of you curse your birthday because you're older. <laughs> Children never curse their birthday. Children are like, it's my birthday. We're having a party. Yeah, I love my birthday. And some of us are like, yeah, it's my birthday. Curse the day. I don't want to celebrate that day too much. Job's, Job goes down that path, but not just because he's old, but because he's devastated. He says it would be better if I had never breathed. In fact, in the end of chapter 3, verse 20, he says this, Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? to those who long for death that does not come. Job is suicidal. I, re- I struggle with that. How is it possible for a hero of faith, for a hero in the Bible, how is it possible that he would be suicidal? 
It's because he's real. And real people sometimes struggle with continuing on. I love the fact that God puts reality in the Bible. He doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He puts it straight up for us. And here's Job, who is regarded a hero of the Bible. And he's suicidal. He's in such pain. He has suffered such loss that he says, maybe it would be better if I didn't breathe. That's an issue today. Time Magazine ran an article last week. Talked about suicide. It talked about the rate of suicide going up. Talked about the rate of suicide in one particular category, that of men who are 50 to 54 years old. And the rate going up by 50% in the last 12 years. And I think, how is it possible in a world like we live in, in a country, in a culture like we live in, where we live more richly than the kings of 100 years ago? Every one of us in the room is more, has more luxury, has more physical cushion than kings from 100 years ago. And yet we are a culture that is shadowed by suicide or thoughts of suicide. And that's Job. And some of you have walked down that road with loved ones, and it's real. And the loss is absolutely indescribable. Which is exactly why God describes it. Because he knows. And he walks through it with us. When you go on through the story of Job, over and over and over, you see see glimpses into his pain. He says his sleep is tormented. His body is tormented. And at one point, it gets so bad for him that he cries out to God in a prayer. In fact, when you come to chapter 13 and 14, you'll find that it's primarily a prayer from Job to God, which is very telling and very helpful for us because one of the primary distinctions between Job and his three friends is that Job's three friends talked a lot about God, but Job talked a lot to God. which is a call to us that says never underestimate the power and the authority of an authentic prayer to God. The prayer that he prays is not the kind of prayer that we often pray. It's not primarily a prayer of asking God for anything. It's certainly not the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us what we need today. It's not that kind of a prayer. It's a prayer of agony. In 
fact, it's a prayer that's so strong in its language that at the end of the prayer, in chapter 14, verse 19, Job is talking to God and he says this, As water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you, God, destroy a person's hope. And that's all we have time for today. Sorry. Okay, I can't do that to you exactly, but that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna stop. That's the that's the zip code that we're gonna stop in. Now, I believe the gospel always ends with good news. If it's the gospel according to Job, it has to end with good news. It has to end with God bringing hope. So when Job prays, and remember, this is in the episodes. This is in the part that says things about God that are not necessarily true. This is how he felt about it. But you have to know that in the end of the story, Job finds hope. And God reveals it to him. The title of this week's message, and I'm not sure it got in our program today, but the title that I gave this week's message is The Chaos of Suffering, which is exactly what it is. The Chaos of Suffering. Next week's talk is called Hope in the Storm. So I'm, I'm fearful a little bit today to send you out on this note. I hate doing that. But you're going to have to come back. Because next week we're going to talk about hope in the storm. And you're going to find there's about 10 statements all the way through the book of Job that have remarkable conviction of hope. That's what you have to get to. So in the next seven days, you can come on Saturday and catch it early if you want to, if that helps you. But for the next seven days, I'm praying for you that if your life is in the kind of pain that Job was in or something like that, I'm praying for you. God is going to be right there in the middle of it with you. And we're going to come back to the place where we say, God gives us hope. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for the story of Job. I'm so grateful that you walk through it with him. You don't stand back and just observe. You are fully engaged with him. And when we walk through painful times in our lives or seasons in our lives, you are right there walking through it with us. You wrestle it down with us. And I'm so grateful to you for that. And Lord, I want to pray for my friends. I don't know everybody's situation, but you do. And you know the ones who are really suffering with pain. You know the ones who have had employment loss. You know the ones who have had family loss. You know the ones uh, who have had physical loss or emotional loss. You know all of it. And so I pray specifically for them as we walk into this holiday season this week. For some, that's a beautiful, wonderful, happy time, but for some, it's a time of grieving. And so in the midst of that, would you just let your presence be known to us? Would you let your presence be known to them? And may they have your peace. Lord, we trust you. We look to you through Jesus Christ, our resurrected, hope-giving Savior. Amen.